Hello and welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The OmniTalk Fast Five is the fastest, funniest, and most fervently insightful rundown of all the week's top news in retail and also with the best alliteration. If you want boring, go someplace else. I am your host, Chris Walton, joined as always by Ann Mazinga and my new favorite acronym, ETI, Emma the Intern. And I got to tell you guys, and and Emma, I don't know how you guys are feeling, but I'm like Pointer Sisters excited here today. Like, I am so excited. We have some special guests with us. We have Christian Kohler Burroughs and David Ritter from the AM Consumer and Retail Group. How are you guys? Great. Thanks for having us. Thank you for Great. having us. Great to be here. We're excited to have you guys. This is going to be a fun one. This is the first time we've had this many guests. This is like, we basically have a game show happening right now. It's amazing. I love it. We do. There's like things going on all over the place right now. (laughs) This is going to be such a blast. So for those that are frequent listeners to the show and maybe those that aren't familiar, A&M, these guys are our sponsors. So Kristen and Dave, are they basically are working with us each and every week on this podcast. You'll know from our frequent segment of Put Us on the Spot. These two, believe it or not, are the ones who are putting us on the spot each week. They're the ones who are making us sweat and actually having me have Emma, the intern, answer any questions that I just can't figure out. I'm always sending them her way. They're the ones to thank for this. And so today we thought, hey, why not turn the tables on them, get them on the podcast and ask each of them, what is a put put you on the spot question that maybe they can shed some light on something that might be top of mind for us. So, so I'm pumped. I'm thrilled. And what, what do you think here? You got any advice for them before we get started? Oh, just um, have fun. And um, I don't know, be ready for Chris to say something ridiculous about 80s movies references that no one else knows about. But hey, I mean, we started that we started getting on this podcast with talking about Paul Reiser. So I feel like they're well prepared. We did. We before we started just to warm ourselves up for everyone listening, we actually tried to guess Paul Reiser's age, which believe it or not, Kristen nailed it right on the nose. 65 years young as of March 30th. Emma, the intern, what are your expectations here? Scale of one to ten. Like what are you what are you expecting here from Dave and Kristen? Are you are you, you like on the ten side? You more in the middle, like on a five? Where are you going with this? Eleven. I think it'll Eleven. be Eleven. Wow. Nice. I like the pandering. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Dave, how about you? You ready? Got your gay face on? Oh yeah. Uh Love listening every week and, uh, and and frankly putting you on the spot. So uh, a little nervous, but uh, ready to rock. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Not to be nervous. How about you, Kristen? You feeling in character? I mean, the tables are turned. And I mean, I, I, you know, I have to say I've got a little sweat on the brow. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little nervous, shaking here in my chair. No, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And it's great to have you guys. And we appreciate your support so much. I think it also does beg the question to how many HBS grads does it take to record a podcast? I think that's a new question that we're all exploring here together, the three of us too. So let's get to it. All right. So in today's fast five, we're going to debate Best Buy's new subscription test, Starbucks new reusable cup program, Nordstrom's market strategy, and Amazon's uh, least rumor that they are going to explore discount outlet stores. But first, we're going to start with Harry's and their $155 million raise this week and put Dave on the spot right in the beginning. All right. So for those that didn't hear, Harry's raised $155 million in Series A, e, excuse me, Series E financing this week, bringing its valuation to about $1.7 billion. And that's money that it says it will use to acquire or invest in other great brands. So Dave, my question for you, 
What do you think of this announcement? What are we seeing here? Is this big news? And the making of maybe like the next, you know, big CPG, say a PNG, you know, Unilever, or is this just a lot of money signifying not that much at all? What's your take? Well, great question. And uh, I think you could probably go both ways with this. But I mean, I think the first thing to do is just acknowledge that the Harry's team has done a, a pretty amazing job of stealing share uh, in the shave market uh, and getting, I think it's 10,000 stores of distribution at this point. Um, that said, the shave market's declining uh, and has a lot of margin pressures. Um, so I personally think that Harry's capabilities and ability to kind of target millennial shoppers makes them a great fit. Uh, to disrupt faster growing, more profitable personal care categories. You know, think skin, hair care, shower and bath. I mean, even deodorant. Um, but I don't think that's the story here. While, while all of that's true, okay. I think today's announcement has a lot more to do with the FTC. Uh, I think by intervening in the Edgewells and Harry's acquisition, uh, they moved a, removed a major exit strategy uh, for small, innovative CPG brands. You know, I frankly think today's announcement is about building a financial war chest uh, that will be followed by a bunch of acquisitions and an eventual IPO. You know, I think this is the first step for Harry's, frankly, in shifting their strategy uh, to provide their venture capital investors a liquidity event and as soon as possible. I think there's a lot of frustration uh, coming out of the, the failure in the Edgewell deal uh, and the inability to monetize the investment. This makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, we uh, met with Nielsen last week, Chris. And if you remember, they yeah. were talking about how the shave category is one of the biggest disruptors to retailers like that, that recurring, you know, I'm going into the store to pick up my blades again this month. Like that the disruption of D to C brands in this category um, is really changing so much more down the line too. like the ripple effect of that, where people are going for these repeat purchases. And so I think that, if we see brands like Harry's continue to expand into these categories, there's no telling kind of what could come from that and what other disruptions actual retailers are going to see from it. But you look like you are not all in on this by- No, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Now. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I think hugely disruptive category. And here's where I'm at so far in the conversation. I think hugely disruptive category, right? Like in terms of what it's meant for retail, when you look at them, Dollar Shave Club, everybody. I think David's point's dead right. Like you've got you've got this whole situation here of how do you pay back the investors given everything that's been going on and what are the options given what happened with Edgewell and not being able to move forward on that side of things. But the question for me is you're still throwing a lot of money at the belief that these guys can basically do the same thing again in other categories, basically essentially become a house of different brands under the portfolio. Kristen, what do you think on that? Like are you are you buying that they're able to do that, that they're going to be able to do that in the long run? Because if they are, I mean, this is a really different model for how, you know, CBGs can be built and, and who's going to be strong going forward. I mean, I have a pretty strong opinion that, you know, where the synergies are going forward is around data and analytics and mm -hmm. a customer. So, yes, in terms of becoming a house of brands. In particular, if you're targeting like the same customer, like, look, I'm going to go after me right? I'm a woman, you know, women 50 plus, I'm going to own her across every single touch point in her life from health, beauty, fitness needs. To me, then you're really getting leverage over the data and analytics around that. And you can build out a portfolio of brands that really serves her. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I actually, and so, and no, I'm not skeptical of this. I actually think there's something here. Uh, and we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but not that much. Whereas 
you know, we talk about the retail disruption and I've been writing about this a lot on social media, but I actually think what we're going to see here too, is there's a big CBG disruption coming too, in terms of who the power players are. And I think it's what Kristen said is these people know how to take certain products in certain areas to market. And as long as they stay lasered focused on that, there's a lot that they can build around that. But you look at some of the legacy companies like General Mills, they're having to bring this t- like here locally, like they're having to bring some of this talent in to make this kind of thing happen more regularly for them. Um, so I think you're going to see, I think there's a lot of room for this to happen even further here. But Dave, what's your last word? My last word is if you look at the Edgewell transaction, I mean, part of the negotiations was that Harry was, was going to take over Edgewell Americas. Everything from HR to the the old school Playtex, et cetera, brands. So, I mean, I think that that stepping back and looking at that gives you a a real forward-looking perspective and how CPG is thinking about introducing innovation and innovation leadership. It's no longer just about products. Yeah, I agree. And that is a great point too. Like, I think it's, I, I think it's easier to learn traditional retail than it is for a traditional retailer to learn how to be a digital retailer or same with, and same with CPG too, I think so. And what do you think? Oh yeah. I just, I agree completely. I'm still, I think Dave is putting some really great thoughts out that, and especially just having the the deep knowledge of the inner workings of that deal that I don't think people are, are capturing that part. People are thinking of like the, the consumer facing like, Oh, this is cool. And they can right. take on all these brands. And like, yeah, if I'm going to buy, you know, people, the Gen Z audience cares about the, what the brand looks like and what they stand for and all these things. Like they're focused on that part of it. I don't, I don't think that we're hearing as much about what Dave brings to uh, the conversation. So Dave, we're already glad that you're here. I mean, well, you've already <laughs> validated yourself, Kristen, you too. Um, we, we've got, it's only going to go up from here, Chris. I think we should. (laughs) Actually, the biggest thing is I'm really scared what the put, put you on the spot question is going to be for me next week. Like that's what I'm freaked out about already. Right. Before two are off next week. So it'll be two weeks, but all right, let's move to the next story. Emma, you've got the next one, right? Yes. So Best Buy is testing out a new membership program with perks like unlimited tech support from the Geek Squad, exclusive membership pricing, and free shipping. The program is called Best Buy Beta, and it's going to cost $199.99 per year. So I think this is a great idea. I'm surprised it took so long. However, that price, that price is a little steep for me to not offer something like free two-day delivery or even same-day delivery. So I'm curious to hear what everyone else's thoughts are. Okay. So yeah. So let's, and let's set the table too. So like it's, and it sounds like there may be some delivery components, but the stories were a little vague and this broke pretty late yesterday, but it sounds like you get like free installation, you get geek squad service whenever you need it around, who knows if it's around the clock, I'm making that up, but basically whenever you need it. So you're kind of liking this idea, Kristen, what do you think? You liking this? I mean, I, I, I was super impressed with how they really built out the, the Geek Squad, you know, I don't know, how many years ago into something that really transformed their whole business model. I think this is an extension of it. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So you're pro, you're pro Best pro. Buy beta. Okay. Which that pro talk about liberation. How about yes. you, Ann? One of the reasons why we love this podcast. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Alliteration. Sometimes retail news, but mostly alliteration. That's good. That's what we're going for. Um, You know, when I first saw this, I was like, yeah, that's steep, but get it while the getting's good, Best Buy. I mean, people are willing to pay this, you know, yearly subscription. I think for me, I initially thought like, okay, I immediately go to Apple Care, and how does this stack up against Apple Care, and how many people are willing to pay for that? 
did a little digging, you know, the extended warranty business is like a multi-billion dollar business projected to increase like another 10% in the next two years. So I think that there's, there's money to be had here. There's value here. I I'm just curious, like how much electronics is one person or one family household purchasing in one year? Does it make sense to be spending this $200 every year on appliances and like that to me, I've just, I, I throw out that question. I don't know that me as a consumer, I'm going to jump on this train, but I guess if you are like, if I was buying a brand new MacBook or something, this does include Apple products, um, on top of the Apple warranty. So I would consider doing this for Best Buy just to expand that universe. Um, and then finally, I think it does keep people in the Best Buy universe again, instead of going to Amazon for other electronics, like it keeps your regulars coming back to Best Buy, which is a great concept for Best Buy. I think you just sold me on this, Anne. But, but, uh, Dave, <laughs> Dave what we, I think I, I was like kind of, okay, it's cool. But like, now I'm like all in on this. But Dave, what do you think? Are, are you, where are you? I think you have to take this as a pilot. I think it's yep. a, I think conceptually it's a great idea. I, I do think the warranties is a big component of this and they can get really uh, pricey, especially on big ticket items. Uh, but for me, the, the 199 intro price, it, it's a beta, it's a test. I imagine that that number will come down over time as they realize that adoption is not that high at that high price point. But I think the concept of the program makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I love it for I love it for all of what you guys just said. I mean, like to me, there's three things here. Like, first of all, it's a test. So who cares? Like, if no one does it, no one does it. Like, you lose nothing. So whenever we see these subscription things, I'm always like, this is cool. Just try it. Let's see what the hell happens, right? And you're get, having people give you 200 bucks a year that they weren't giving you before. So that's great. So that's one. I just think that's hella smart. The second point, and like what you said, this puts you in the mind with Best Buy around service, right? And what's one of those things that brings you to a physical store over time? What's well, the confidence in the purchase that you're making or brings you even back to their entire properties digitally and physically? So I think that's an important consideration. So it's just from a branding perspective, you know, adding to that whole cachet with what the Best Buy brand is. But here's the more important point that I didn't think about, Ann, until you just said what you said, which is, Think about where this world's going. Like it's going smart and smart home implementations are not easy. They're very disparate. They're hard to do, but yet those are going to be more prolific here as we go forward. And so would a certain class of people pay a certain amount of money to have somebody be at their beck and call to come and make sure that their whole home is set up and working right? I think there's going to be more activity in that space because that is just really hard for the average person to understand. Am I crazy? And you're shaking your head. You agree with that? Yeah, I completely agree with it. I mean, yeah, you. Th- I I hadn't thought about that part of it, but I think that that answers my question of how much are you buying from Best Buy in a, a year typically now? And and yes, you're right. It's only going to increase as we continue to go forward. So it it makes a lot yeah, of right, sense. From your, from your ring, from your ring doorbell to your right. electronic right. refrigerator to your TV, right? I mean. It makes Best Buy a one-stop shop. And and how many of these, like to David's point too, like how many of these subscriptions do you need to have? 
Yeah. And the only thing I don't love about this though, if I was to be really critical is I freaking hate the name, like Best Buy beta. Like, could we oh not my come God, up with who cares? In that? Like, and by the way, why is it always beta or alpha? Like, why can't we use other Greek letters like Best Buy Tau or Best Buy New? Like, what the hell is the difference? They're being I, I, reserved for hurricanes right now, Chris. So just get off the Greek letters. Who cares what this called? Right. And 20 year old parties, right? Anyway. Okay. Enough, enough. I digress. Let's keep on moving. And you got story number three. Okay, well, while a pandemic might seem like an odd time to pilot a reusable cup program, Starbucks says screw it and is full steamed oat milk ahead on this concept. So according to to Chain Store Age, is a mom joke. Um, According to Chain Store Age, customers at participating Starbucks can now order their hot or cold beverage in a newly designed reusable cup. When customers finish their beverage, they scan their cup at the store's contactless return kiosk or drive through and drop the cup in the kiosk. They can then scan their Starbucks app to receive a $1 credit to their Starbucks rewards and 10 bonus points. In case you're wondering, Starbucks has also partnered with Ridwell, which offers the home pickup service for these reusable cups and hard to recycle items so that customers have a second option for returning their borrowed cup. Now, Kristen, I'm going to go to you on this one because when we had our interview with you a couple weeks ago, you mentioned sustainability as one of the biggest opportunities that retailers should be paying attention to, but that they aren't. Do you think that this is the right approach for Starbucks? You mean you're asking me to walk my walk here? Uh, a <laughs> yes. little bit, a little bit, yeah. Okay, it's not hang um, tags, but it's cups. What should they do? So first, overall, you know, big shout out to Starbucks for doing something in this area. So right, clap, clap. Um, but second, you know, um, one of the things when we talked about it on on the last podcast with you is, you know, is this actually going to be better for the environment. So is this really going to reduce the carbon footprint? And is it being done in a way for the customer through a customer lens that's easy for the customer and makes sense for them at their price point, et cetera? So yes, shout out to Starbucks for doing this. But to the second point, does it really reduce their overall footprint? I mean, maybe they're they're not using as many disposable cups, but you got to think about the, you know, the the process of getting the cup cleaning the cup, returning the cup, right? So if you look at it end to end, is it really reducing everything? And then lastly, from a customer lens, I don't know, to me, that seems like a big hurdle. I'd rather just, you know, take my Yeti mug, go there, have them fill my Yeti mug with coffee, take my own mug home, clean it and bring it back and be incented to do that. So why can't I get extra, you know, extra points for doing that versus using one of their mugs? Interesting. So you don't see the brand hook on the consumer side. So two things, you don't see the brand hook necessarily on the consumer side for this. And then also you're still curious about net net, how much impact it really would have. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Like way to take a stand too on the spot. Yeah. What do you think on that? So I'm going back to the Best Buy story where I think that this is a, this is a brilliant idea for your regulars. Like for the people who are hardcore right now, I think right now we'll start to see this. They're going to the same Starbucks every day at the same time. And so to bring your cup back and to get a dollar off every single day, like that adds up. That's $20 off of coffee over the course of a month. If you're going, you know, five times a week, it's like one more latte a month. It, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but I do, to, 
to Kristen's point, I am having like some like scary flashbacks to childhood to like the can recycling centers outside of our local grocery store where it's just like people lined up and like it. I don't know. Bees flying around and getting stung while you're trying. Like there's just a lot of like logistics yes. stuff that is still like, what is that Kia? I know it's contactless, but what exactly is happening there and how are these going to be cleaned? And there's point. still a lot of big question marks for me on how, but I think Starbucks of all people will figure this out. Emma, Emma, you're the youngest here, at least I assume so, but you know, a pretty good factor here. But what you're, you're you know, what's the Gen Z take on this? What do you think? This is pretty cool. I'm glad that they're like doing it as a test since they're only doing it in a couple Seattle stores for now. It's something I would definitely use if I was going to Starbucks frequently. But I think to everyone's points, like I don't think there's any impact to be had unless this is like a very widespread thing. But at the same time, I mean, I worked in coffee. I don't think there is any way to reduce your net impact on the earth, no matter what you do as a coffee shop. Just kind of that is what it is. Yeah. Dave, what do you think? I guess I'm a contrarian here. I, I think it's awesome. I love it. I'm with, I'm I, think, I mean, I think if I think about the number of people that go through a Starbucks in a day globally and take the cup, that's got to have an impact. Now, you know, maybe if you did some significant or really sophisticated analysis, you might find that the, the carbon footprint wasn't you know perfect. But I, but I love it. I, I think there's two big things, though, that I think Starbucks is going to have to figure out is Starbucks is, is a really peak time business. This can't slow down their ability to put people through this, the, the shop, right? And I think uh, having a, a, a permanent cup that you can't write on is going to mess up workflows. And I think there's a lot to get right there. And then the second is, I think everyone's already echoed it, so I'll just be short and sweet. Health and hygiene and safety here feel like a real challenge uh, that they're going to have to make everyone real comfortable with because it could end up with, with Anne's kind of bees buzzing around a recycle bin perspective if, if you've got a you know a wealth of dirty coffee dripping all over the back of the starbucks so you could imagine it being real gross real fast if, yeah, if it's not properly managed if the shop's not one right and you guys made me think of something again and, and you remember the trip we took to starbucks when we were heading up um targets work for the store yeah. of the future like yes. we went there and it was really cool because they showed us our pro their process right and i think that's an important context for this situation too is my hunch i don't know this for sure but they have a big employee store there and everything they do, they test out through that store. And then they have a very overt like stage gate process to all their pilot implementations before anything rolls out. So that makes me think like, at least on the branding side, in terms of the consumer acceptance of this, that like they've already seen some good data that is showing that consumers are interested in this. And I think to you guys point, like the crazy thing to me about this from having run stores is just all the operational dynamics. Like you're changing your flow mm -hmm. and they Starbucks had to do that with order pickup. Now they're saying we're going to do this and we're going to figure out how to wash cups and place cups and take cups back. And they're also doing this at home, which is crazy. Like there's a delivery service that's involved in this. They're not afraid to break a few eggs trying to figure that out. And again, I think it's probably stage gated too. And yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, Chris, of, of the locations of these kiosks. Like, I think this makes more sense in the type of environment that you're talking about with Starbucks headquarters or like even when we were at Target where there's a the Starbucks in, in that environment. Like, that makes sense to drop doors. off my cups on my way out instead of yeah. recycling them or doing whatever. Like, that all. is smart. I think you do run into some issues when you're talking about the, the general public at large and, and yeah. Starbucks. So. so if you had to pick which size Starbucks cup you are with this idea, 
Let's go around the horn. Oh Dave, God. are you venti? Is that what you are? Venti, venti absolutely. Venti black. You're Trenta. You're Trenta. Emma? Grande. You're Grande. Kristen, back to you. Um, Have you changed your mind? Are you still like, what's the what's the one that's lower than tall? Oh, I don't even know. Short. 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 <laughs> I mean, look, I, I like the big bold move as I started with. So I'm gonna stick with Grande. I'm with Emma. I'm, right. with, I'm with ETI on that one. Grande. Okay. I, I'm I, I think I'm probably like I, I think I'm probably like uh uh, what is Vente? I think I'm Vente because this is just bold. This is bold. And they're, those guys are so bold. They're probably the boldest retailer out there on the experimentation side. All right. Speaking of experimentation and changing the way retail works, store number four, Nordstrom, this week announced that it plans to expand its market strategy to 10 additional markets. Those markets include Atlanta, Austin, Denver, Detroit, Houston, Miami, Minneapolis, Portland, San Diego, and West Palm Beach. Now, for those that are familiar with this, just to give you a little bit of background, a few years ago, Nordstrom started what they called a market strategy, where essentially, this is a quote from there, they're, from them, they're letting their customers shop and engage when, where, and how they want, regardless of whether it's in-store or online at Nordstrom or Nordstrom Rack, Nordstrom Local even probably. And their strategy is focused on delivering convenience and connection by leveraging all of their assets of people, product, and places across top markets, end quote. The whole idea here is, again, not to think by channels, but to think by market, similar to how an e-commerce venture would think about their cohorts of customers. And Dave and Kristen have already been put on the spot. I think they need a little bit of a break here. What is your take? You you don't buy this at all. You think this is fluffy. Okay. This is, let me clarify. It's not that I don't buy it, but I, I think this is PR for Nordstrom doing what they've already done for a really long time. The biggest thing Mm -hmm. of note, the biggest thing that I would, or the headline, I guess I would be putting out there is that they're shifting exactly what you said. It's about market now, not individual store against individual store. That is smart omni-channel retailing. That makes sense. But for me, like I don't, I mean, I'm curious the group for the group too. Like when was the last time you felt like you were waiting or that Nordstrom wasn't meeting your expectations when it came to service and getting products? Like when was that? Because I've been a loyal Nordstrom customer for a long time. And I would say that their service level standard has always been such a high standard that I've never felt like I'm missing out on products. I'm missing out on assortment. I'm waiting for packages for too long. Like they're just so good at communicating that. And that's always been part of their standard of service that I just feel like they're maybe it's happening behind the scenes and, and that's what they're trying to put out there. But I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not all for this uh, PR announcement. So that's what you I think. It's just PR. Okay. That. You think it's more PR? Interesting. Fascinating. This blows my mind. Kristen, what do you think? You've had some experience in this space. What's your take on this? Well, I, I mean, I agree with Anne that what, what really is different about this. I mean, we talked at the last podcast and I'm a big believer that the customer is the channel these days, right? So everything right. revolves around them. Yes, but that's not new news. This isn't saying anything that different. I guess my question would be, if they're really going to this market approach, are they going to start measuring themselves that way? So instead of like store comp, it's market comp and you include in there kind of the digital piece. So how far are they taking this? And, you know, are they really putting their money where their mouth is on this one? Dave, what do you think? I, you know, I actually like it a little bit more, I think, than the group has, has said. I agree that this is an evolution of the Nordstrom's model as opposed to transformation. Um, but if you heard this from another uh, another department store that was not as 
as forward leaning as Nordstrom's, you'd think this was transformational, right? So in some ways, I think it's Nordstrom's starting point that is making this not seem like such a big deal. I mean, the consumer does want to pick up their goods wherever they are. So it feels like they are being customer first and, and, and as convenient as they possibly can for the consumer with them in mind. So I, I like it. I mean, it, it's, if it wasn't Nordstrom's, I think we'd be t- uh, singing much more of its praises. Dude, that, that is such an amazing point. Like, it's also scary to me how much I'm thinking like you on this podcast right now. But like, yeah, it, it, for context, like we first heard about this strategy. I think that's part of it too, Anne. It's like we first heard about this strategy in 2019 from Eric Nordstrom on stage at Shop Talk. Right. And we were blown away because we were like, that is how you have to think about it. And yet you still read so many earnings reports quarterly where they're not taking that approach. They're not doing what Christian said, where they're talking about what are the financials by from a market-based approach. They're just looking at everything, store comps, traditional metrics, Kohl's, Macy's, everybody. Dave, you're dead right. If Macy's did this, I would be the first person out there in the media saying, this is freaking great. Freaking great if more people were doing this. So yeah, hopefully more people kind of get on the train with this or get on the bandwagon. Emma, what do you think? Last word. I love it. I think like just comparing like Nordstrom's that exist on the East Coast out to the Midwestern ones, like they're so different. The East Coast ones cater truly to the people who live out there and they need to like expand that market idea and be more involved and interested in like creating that kind of dynamic. It also slows the brakes, I think, on like all the like hype around like Nordstrom local or what are the different things you're doing in different areas? It lets you just say, hold on, let us just understand that by market, you know, media and analysts before you like rush to think that these are all the right answers everywhere. Just not that dissimilar to what we were just talking about with Starbucks and like how you talked about, okay, you know, what's the right spot to implement something like this? Is it corporate stores? Is it your garden variety store? Like those types of things matter and they take time. All right. And let's close this up. Oh, this is a great one. I love this story. So according to, oh yeah, according to Fortune, sources say that Amazon is exploring opening discount retail stores, selling a mix of home goods and electronics, which would be a potentially significant expansion of the company's growing portfolio of brick and mortar locations. These outlets would carry unsold inventory that is currently sitting in Amazon warehouses at steep discounts. And you bet your buns I'm bringing the Amazon mall conversation back into this. This is a perfect oh example <laughs> of because this is a perfect example of what we hear people say is you can't turn malls into fulfillment right. centers because they look like fulfillment centers and nobody wants a fulfillment center. Well, what do you put on the front of that mall then? What's the front of house? What's the customer facing experience for these Amazon distribution centers? An outlet center that's taking all the stuff that gets shipped back and now it's putting the, it available for people that are going to come in droves for this kinds of stuff. You got to be kidding me or you can take returns in this spot like it's a perfect front face for an amazon mall concept we heard it in the news this week 25 in the last two years they've already converted into amazon distribution centers so i absolutely absolutely love this that that is a really great point yeah 25 malls have already been converted i didn't think i didn't think about that wayfair is already doing this model too at some of their distribution centers which aren't as nicely located as probably the malls that amazon's been buying up Kristen, what do you think? I mean, I'm I'm with Anne. I this to me is a win, win, win. I would go venti on this one if we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the measurement standard for all stories going forward. I love how I stuff just comes like like out of nowhere. Like wow, we have a new measurement scale. Starbucks will be so proud. So you're huge into this, Dave. What do you think? So uh, listen, I think the concept of of failing mall retail plus the discount channel 
plus a liquidation market for Amazon could, it, I mean, it's almost certainly a, a viable option for the consumer. Uh, I think if I was going to uh, throw one wrench in the thing, it's, uh, it is, will nicer malls that have a, a JCPenney or something open, would they be open to this, uh, this format? And I, I don't know if that's the case. I think it would have to be in the you know, B and C malls that are struggling more uh, as opposed to in, uh, in, in the nicer malls. But who, who knows? I mean, it, it, if you designed the, the, the customer facing elements of the concept and it, it was it, it didn't drag the, the concept down. Uh, it's hard to drag malls down, by the way, at this point. Um, it, it, who knows? I think I think it's a, g- a great idea to explore. Well, and I don't and I think, too, I think point of clarification and too, I don't think we necessarily need to attach this idea to malls either. Like right. just the idea right. of standalone discount stores is intriguing in and of itself and could be an idea here. I mean, I like, and so I, from my standpoint, like in 2019, I wrote an article in Forbes about what would happen if you took like the TJ Maxx operation, you know, the discount store operation, and you combined it with computer vision technology. So where essentially you have like basically, you know, discounted goods or maybe even returned goods like you guys are talking about. And computer vision is in place where all that stuff gets easily cataloged through camera technology. And people just come in and shop and take what they want, almost like a flea market, right? You just come in and get it. That's a total treasure hunt thing. And so like, you know, Amazon Go has been out there for three years now. Who's to say that they're not looking at that type of thing for other product categories outside of grocery? And you know who's not going to be able to keep up with them if they do that? And this is going to allow them to experiment is TGX and Ross and everybody the hell else. They're going to be like asleep at the wheel. And this whole business, especially when you think about returns and how much they're growing, it's just there for the taking. Like Emma, would you shop at a place like that? Absolutely. Like think about, I know you ignore ignoring malls, but in the mall of America, that Sears location has been open forever. Do you know how many people would go to an Amazon outlet that's at the Mall of America. It's like, just like all the returns product for yeah. all the yeah. return product for Minneapolis. Oh God, yeah, that's a great point. They'd come from Iowa. They would. Yeah, and get a Starbucks on the way. Like they totally would. They totally would. Kristen, what do you think? Anything else you'd add here? I guess you know I go back to just you know how much retail space there is out there, and they, like I think about growing up, we had the old mall and the new mall, right? And now the new mall is really even an old mall. And these places just lay vacant. So talk about repurposing the, you know, repurposing these spaces in multiple markets. I think they can grow very quickly, very fast. I guess my question is, who do we think it hurts the most? Does it hurt the TJXs of the world the most? Does it hurt the dollar generals of the world? Like who, who do we think it really impacts the most? And what do you think? I mean, I, I, in my notes, as we were prepping for this, I mean, I think that who it hurts the most is the other malls potentially. Like now, if you're going to have a mall, I think you're going to be in direct competition with Amazon. I think like, it's just, that's, that's who you're going to compete with. They're able to take their footprint, leverage the technology that Chris mentioned and create this experience. I mean, even as Dave was saying, like, I think your, your Amazon concept is already an elevated level. It's not like you're throwing like Bill's crazy discount corner in the empty JCPenney. This is like a high end, high tech customer, high end customer facing concept that, you know, as they continue to take up more and more of these malls, like you're going to, you're going to have to compete with all of the offerings of Amazon in order to survive. Again, this is a new category. Dave. I mean, I think it actually is just as dangerous for the best buys of the world. 
Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Discount, uh, a highly discounted product that's of a similar quality level in a world where you can actually compare apples to apples. I mean, this is showrooming kind of at its worst. Refurbished. They can go get the exact same product, you know, at a huge discount. I, I think I'd be really worried if I was a traditional consumer electronics or furniture player. Yeah, and where do you go for? Yeah, I'd add the furniture side too. I think that's important, and that's probably the business I know the best. Like. Where do you go for furniture in the physical world anymore for great prices? Like you're really, your only options are like, maybe you go for home goods for like a, a treasure hunt find, or maybe like a Target or a Walmart. Wayfair has been asleep at the wheel be trying to get their store strategy off the ground. I can't believe how goddamn long that's taking them. And so now they're going to let Amazon come in with better technology, which by the way, sign me up to see that because I would love to see what happens to Wayfair's business as a result of that. But, and take the last word. Where do you go for everything? I mean, that's the thing. Right. It's not Good just point. electronics. It's not just home furnishings. Amazon Whoever's has everything. So everything at a lower price. And you're, to Dave's point, you can compare that right yeah. then and there. Yeah. No, you're right. And, and it's right. You're right. It's like, it's where it's most convenient to you. The other story this week that broke that we didn't even cover, like Amazon Go is now at the Boston Garden. You go to a Celtics game and there it is, right? Like it, we've talked about how it's when you get out of tourist locations in London, like it's coming, it's everywhere. All right. Well, that wraps us up. That was awesome. I had a total blast. Like Dave, I thought mic drop on that point too, around that you made around um, a Macy's. I thought that was killer. Like that was just fantastic. Um, we are off next week. So programming notes, we are going to take a break. Believe it or not, I think and Em and I have done this podcast for every week, almost over the past, for more than a year now. So we're going to take a much deserved break, but we will be back in two weeks. Happy birthday today to John Schneider. And do you know who that is? No. Kristen, do you know who that is? No. I no? no. It's such a basic name. Give us some more John context, Schneider. please. Wait, wait, I keep thinking cowboy show. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Yes. Okay. Police, please. Is it a, uh, No. Bo Duke. Bo Duke. Bo Duke. Come on. Bo Duke. John yeah. Schneider, Broadway actor. Also, Edward Mulher, who played Michael Knight's boss, Devin Miles on Knight Rider. And then, of course, Patricia Arquette. So, around the horn, favorite Arquette. And David. David. Kristen. Patricia. I'm, with, I'm, with, I'm David also. You're David. Dave's yeah. Patricia. Emma, do you even know who we're talking about? Okay, I've heard the name, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> God, you guys, well, you said David and Patricia. I'm going Rosanna, man. Rosanna's better. She's she's good stuff. I, I like Desperately Seeking Susan. Come on, right? Good times. All right, remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it Omnitalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Thanks for sure to our special guests today, Christian Kohler Burroughs and David Ritter of the AM Consumer and Retail Woo. Group. Guys, if people want to get in touch with you, if they're like, hey, I want to learn more about what you were talking about or just learn more about AM, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, everyone can just reach out directly. You can, uh, we're both on LinkedIn uh, and, and you're pretty easily accessible there. Or you can email us directly. I'm dritter at alvarezandmarsal.com. It's kburrows at alvarezandmarsal.com. Kburrows. Or just All call right. me Benty. Benty at alvarezandmarsal.com. <laughs>
Venti Burros. That's the new you're name. Getting, like. You're getting Trenta insights if this podcast is anything from uh, from A&M. Thanks so much, exactly. you guys, for being a part of it. This, this podcast is also highly caffeinated, by the way, for sure. All right. And last but not least, as always, to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in and be careful out there. OmniTalk Fast Five is sponsored by the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com.